now, you know, at this stage in my life, I just wish I could get it back. That's why I want to get over there. I know mm-hmm. it won't be the same. I can't be 18 again. I can't be 20 again. But I just, right. oh, it's just so more, it's so much more romantic in hindsight, you know, like going to Versailles and having lunch on the steps if you want to. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Just love it. Yeah. Then people that live in Paris are like, no, it's polluted and it's boring. <laughs> My daughter's born in New York City. It's like the coolest city in the world. And she's like, this place stinks and I can't wait to get out of here. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, well, have fun in Indiana then, you bumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) She's just doing a reverse of my life. Oh, that's funny. Hello, hello. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Abby as the guest. Abby is a comedian based in New York City, originally from Indiana. And before pursuing a career in entertainment, she actually had an interest in foreign service. She went to college in Washington, D.C., She earned her undergraduate degree in foreign service, and as part of the requirements for that degree, Abby studied French and Italian, and also studied abroad in France and Italy. Or should I say Italy and France? That was the order. (laughs) That was the order that she went. And I initially heard about Abby through The Black Guy Who Tips, which is a comedy and current events podcast hosted by a husband and wife by the name of Rod and Karen. I think their show is tied with the read in terms of podcasts I've been listening to the longest. Um, But anyway, uh, last year I happened to hear Abby on an episode where um, they interviewed her about her career and such, and she also touched on studying abroad. And I was like, oh, I really would like to know more about that and more about her. And so cut to this summer, I reached out to her, and now here we are. (laughs) So I'm really happy I got the opportunity to talk to Abby about what studying abroad was like for her, both in college and in high school. The first time she went to France was actually through a study abroad trip she took in high school, so we touched on that as well, and also, you know, transitioning from one intended career field to another what got her interested in studying French and Italian in the first place. And of course, we talked about not only her future travel aspirations, but also her aspirations for how her interest in travel and her work in comedy might intersect. Obviously, I'll let her be the one to tell you all the details, but I will say um, there is a bit in there about sexual harassment that she dealt with while in France. So if sexual harassment is a sore topic for you, then I would encourage you to tread lightly. But other than that, for the most part, Abby was very much fond of her experiences in Europe and insisted that it was way more ups than downs. So uh, I hope you enjoy hearing what she has to say. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Abby Crutchfield.
Um, well, thank you for making time to talk to me today. Uh, how's your summer been going? I don't know if your summer's over with yeah, happy yet to. since you have kids. It doesn't feel far. over. I don't even know if it really got started because I've been to the swimming pool twice, but I thought I would be doing more summer stuff. But my, um, my, like, I haven't been to the beach. I haven't done anything. So I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn. So what, if I go to a beach, it's usually Coney Island or the Rockaways. Mm. Are you in New York? No, I'm in Michigan. Okay. So you're in the Midwest. Yeah. We mm-hmm. had, um, we had a beach called Indiana Beach when I grew up in Indiana on Lake Michigan. No, Lake Schaefer. Sorry. It was in Indiana. Okay. <laughs> but I feel like in Michigan, you're used to like lake beaches. Am I wrong? Right. No, no, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So out here we get ocean, but it's like filthy ocean, freezing ocean. It's not crystal mm. clear waters. But, you know, you take what you can get. Right. Okay. Well... Yeah, like you said, I guess you can take what you you can get. And I honestly, like, we have all these freshwater beaches, but I haven't been to one yet this summer. So I'll, it's like my passive goal to, like, get out there and swim. So we'll see if I end up doing that or not. (laughs) You can do it. Well, what have you been doing? If not swimming, what have you been up to? Uh, Not a whole lot, honestly. Just, like, Mm -hmm. chilling, I guess. Yeah, my version so of chilling is no, no, it's not. It's it's like post pandemic finding your footing. My chilling is just reorganizing my vanity over and over again, where I sit and paint my nails or where I sit and put on makeup. Mm. It's always covered with. Right now, I'm looking at books, bottles of lotion, plants. Like it just needs to be cleared off and redone. Yeah. No, I, I, I see a light bulb. There's a stray light bulb on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what I do. I'm just constantly reorganizing. Yeah, I feel that. I can't believe it's almost over. So are we beginning? When do we begin? Yes, so yes, yes. We can start now. I just, I was just curious, uh, since it's August, how your summer's right. going. But um, yeah, we can go ahead and start okay. with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. <laughs> Hi, I'm Abby Crutchfield. <laughs> I work as a comedian in New York City. Um, but I also have been an on-camera host of a few shows. You might have seen You Can Do Better on True TV or Up Early Tonight, a uh, production with Scary Mommy that aired on Hulu. Mm. And that was a late night show for parents. I am a parent. I'm a mom of a five-year-old daughter. And I've been married forever. And I <laughs> live on the East Coast doing comedy things. So that that's varied through the years. But um, I started stand-up when I was in college, but I also was in college to be able to work abroad. That was the goal. Mm-hmm. And I still have a goal of doing comedy abroad. I just haven't done it yet. I've seen my, there's like two different ways my peers have done it. They've gone to Edinburgh Comedy Festival or, or Fringe Festival, excuse me, mm-hmm. where you can put on like a one person show or your stand up special and you get to be in, where is it, Scotland? And then the other way is like by performing for troops overseas or just by making your own tour or by being a part of different festivals that are happening in Europe. So, I know there's it's a there's a way to do it, mm-hmm. but I just I kind of want an invitation. So I feel like unless I'm w- known enough to like be brought over there, it's just going to be a struggle. It'll be like uh, traveling as a tourist plus trying to get work in a country that doesn't know you. So right. I, I don't know. I haven't done it yet because of mental blocks, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope you're able to do that at some point. And um, yeah, I, I I understand. Like the way you phrased it, it does sound like a lot of extra work trying to like put yourself over there versus being invited, you know, so. Um, Probably most people just go over there anyway. I mean, who's yeah. getting an invitation except royalty but, <laughs> or Beyonce? <laughs> right. So, it may, you know, I can't make that my only goal because then it, it might be, I might be waiting forever. But, yeah. um, but just, it just makes it, I would say it cuts a lot of the logistics because as a comedian, 
when you're doing road work, even then, if you don't have an assistant or a representation team, like management or agent or something, you're, you're booking everything yourself and you're mm-hmm. figuring out travel and trying to save money on rental cars. So it's just a lot of logistics. And I figured mm-hmm. doing that abroad would be even more. So I don't know. I just, I keep putting it off. But the reason I, I want to be abroad is because I studied abroad and that's why I'm on your show today. Yes, exactly. And if I remember correctly from when I heard you on the, the Black Guy Who Tips, you mm-hmm. wanted, you studied like foreign service and that's... Yes, I graduated from Georgetown University with a Bachelor of Science in Foreign Service. And okay. a lot of people with that degree then go on to work in the Foreign Service or they get some kind of um, master's in business or international finance and or they work for the government. I have friends that have done that, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to do any of that by the time I graduated. And one thing I had enjoyed doing was being in like the, um, oh, what is their black? We had a black repertory theater. Gosh, what was it called? Anyway, it's like a black theater ensemble. Um, so I did plays and I did visual arts and I was performing comedy informally because I had auditioned for the stand up or no, I'm sorry, the improv group that was kind of known there called G-Pig, the Georgetown Players Improv Group. And a name you might recognize is John Mulaney was heading it up at the time. And before Mm. him, Nick Kroll was heading it. And before him, Mike Birbiglia, who I believe founded the group, was one of the founders. So it was just one of those things that you wanted to be a part of. I didn't get in, but I started a stand-up group instead. (laughs) So I could still do comedy in some form and be recognized on campus as a comedian. Um, So it wasn't going to be my career identity at the time. It was just something that I wanted to be Mm -hmm. recognized for, acknowledged for, because I liked creative writing and I liked performing. But when I left college and knew I wasn't going to pursue any further studies with regard to like international relations, I decided to retool and see if I could carve out a career in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be going well so far, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm oh my gosh, I'm almost 20 years into it. I'm 18 years into it, I think. Wow. Um, That's amazing. And, and, and the reason I switched gears was... Uh, Also, because when I did study abroad, I studied in Italy first and then France. Mm -hmm. And it was to complete a degree, like to get a foreign service degree, you have to have proficiency in a foreign language. And I wanted proficiency in Italian and French. Mm -hmm. So you could split up where you study. I believe that was one of the one of the real reasons that I did two places and both were extremely romantic to me. I was like, oh, Italy, great food and France, like cool language. I just really loved ever since I took... um, a French class at age eight. I think one summer, my mom was like, you girls, sister, you need to do something (laughs) cultural. So she gave us a a class of like French lessons at at a really young age. And Mm -hmm. I really took to it. I didn't even think it was a thing that people did. So I was learning a secret language nobody else spoke. So so I I took to it. I studied it more in middle school. I studied French and Spanish in middle school and I took to French because I had a background in it a little bit and it was just coming easier to me. Mm-hmm. And then I, and at the time, <laughs> if you want a little uh, time context, Boys to Men came out with an album. I think it was their second album, but there is a woman speaking French in the beginning of one of their tracks mm. where they're on con- they're at concert and she's like speaking French. And I was dying to know what she was saying because it wasn't in the liner notes. Like <laughs> CDs used to come with paper folded right. up that had yes. the lyrics on <laughs> Just explain to your younger crowd. Yeah. So, <laughs> so since I couldn't understand it, it was like, you know, cracking a code. And I was like, well, I am learning French right now. Let me figure it out. And so I try to write down the words as I understood them. 
So uh, I studied it in high school and I really took to it in high school. I started making A's. I was making A's in middle school. I was making A's in high school. So I was like, I better just continue studying. And it was in high school that I got my first chance to study abroad my junior year mm. with um, in Indiana. They had some Indiana University sponsored something called the IU Honors Program. So certain if you had a certain aptitude for it or certain grades, uh, grade point average, you could apply. And you would be studying abroad, small town on the west coast of France called Saint-Brieuc, or, or Brest, but we, I went to Saint-Brieuc. And um, then they recruit you. I think there's a total of mm, 12, 15 to 20 kids. And you go for, gosh, it felt like forever, but it was probably something like three months, maybe two months. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even that long. Um, but while I was there, I fell in love with like the culture and some people, literally and figuratively. I was just like gaga for the whole experience and Mm. it it felt very important and very different from somebody you know who's from the midwest in the united states so i was like this is going to be my future i don't know how but i'm going to live here and i'm going to work here (laughs) (laughs) and um and even in college i had that idea but when it came time to pick a career i was like i just don't see how I can, unless you just go over there to backpack and then you start working in a general store, I couldn't imagine (laughs) how I could get work there. And I tried, like at my end of my, my study there, I was like applying for jobs and having phone interviews. And I thought I spoke very well. And I was always told by my friends I spoke well, but the Mm -hmm. people on the other end of the phone were like, "Mm, you sound like a foreigner. Dang. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) well, I am, but I'm charming. (laughs) And they were like, we're not getting that through the phone. So... So I, I just was like, oh, this is going to be harder than I thought. I don't know what to do here. And I realized right away, like, I wasn't going to be making a salary. I was going to be making, like, chump change, you know. You mm-hmm. can you can make – you know what other Americans were doing? They were making friendship brace and selling them in the subway. They looked like runaways. They were just sitting oh. on the floor in the Parisian subway. And I was like, that can't be me. I don't want that to be me. <laughs> so even if I am, uh, you know, crafty, I didn't want to just submit myself or relegate myself to sucking subway fumes all day long <laughs> and just making enough to eat a baguette. So I went back home to regroup and I, I was always interested in entertainment. And so I tried to find a career in entertainment instead. Yeah. Gotcha. That's so interesting. Because I think I, um, when you mentioned your mom signing you up for a French class when you were really young, because I, I had a very similar experience when I was in like, I want to say first grade, where oh, cool. they, I don't even know if they do that now. They've gutted public education so much. But when I was in elementary <laughs> school. You're they, lucky if you learn English in our school system now. <laughs> when I was in elementary school, they had like an after school program where you could, uh, you know, study French or Spanish. And so I was all obsessed with Madeline at the time, the cartoon. Yeah. So that that was how I also began learning French was, you know, in school around the similar age as you. So that's, mm-hmm. that's so interesting. That you yeah, I mean, experience. that's, that's a time when and now I have a five year old. So that is a time when a kid is like, anything is possible. And they don't know so much of what's going on in the world. So anything they learn is interesting to them. Mm-hmm. Right now, my daughter is, you know, watching little cooking shows on YouTube. And even if they're making a dish out of frog, I'm like, I won't be watching this with you. And she's like, but it's fascinating. <laughs> so she could be a chef, you never know, you know, right. and, um, and that's the thing when you're young, and you're exposed to that, you're like, wow, what is this whole new world? Yeah, exactly. And I, so I'm glad that you got that, that early start with French. And so, um, so obviously, that came like first in terms of languages you ended up studying in Georgetown. When, or I guess, how did your interest in Italian 
come along. When did I pick up on Italian? So let me think, because I want to be honest. I I was not exposed to Italian as a kid at all. I'm Mm. trying to think. (laughs) Unless ragu, old world style counts. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, So when I got there, I was a freshman. Oh, I know what it was. So I got into Georgetown through the business school. Mm. I had because um, I, I actually ended up switching over to the international relations program. Uh, what was it called? Foreign service program. But when I checked out the application, <laughs> the 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 prompt for the essay was so above my head. It felt at the time they were like, "Here's a world issue. How would you describe what's happening abroad and how inter- U.S. should intervene?" And I was like, "Huh." Mm. <laughs> So I barely watched the only news I watched was 2020. And so it was just like, you know, this news entertainment show with Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs. And so I was very out of touch with what was going on in the world. Like if Dan Rather came on and said something serious, I would turn it off. So um, but with business, they were like, "Mm, wouldn't it be fun to run a business? Tell us about it. And so I was like, oh, this is very imaginative. I could just create a business. And so I, I wrote an essay on that and entered into the business school. I got into the business school. And once I was there, they were like, time to choose all your math classes. And I was like, oh, but math is really hard for me. And and I had a very big <laughs> mental block when it came to math. Um, so much so that by high school, I was just like, just taking the minimum of what you could take. They were like, you could take pre-cal, you could take trig or whatever. And I was like, I just want to do whatever I need to take. And so when I got to college and I was like, oh my gosh, in order to get good grades here, I'm going to have to take a ton of math. I don't know what to do. And then I don't know who told me this, but they were like, you know, you can switch majors. And so I was like, well, which major doesn't make you take math? And they said, well, with foreign (laughs) service, you can just take a bunch of foreign languages. And I was like, yes. And so you could pick multiple languages through the years. I tried an Arabic class, but they said I wasn't, I didn't have the background for it. Like they were like, you have to at least know the alphabet. And I was like, oh, come on, teach me the alphabet. And then I'll learn the rest. And they're like, no, you can't come in. (laughs) But so the introductory to Arabic was out for me, but introductory to Italian was open. So I took that class. And the cool thing about it was this woman never spoke English, not once. She only spoke Italian. So it was all about picking up social cues and being patient. And she spoke slowly. Mm -hmm. It was fine. But I had never spoken a word of Italian. and I left it like understanding what she was saying. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very cool. And then by the next year, I was doing a little bit better with my pronunciation and I was reading books on my own to try to catch up and the I really liked the professor. And so that when it came time to like pick the two regions that you're going to study abroad, I, I was like, well, France and Italy, that's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. And I had been to Portugal and I'd been to Spain to see family and to see friends. So I kind of understood those areas and I, I hadn't seen a lot other parts of Europe. So I wanted to see Italy. Gotcha. And where did it, where in Italy did you study? The program uh, put you up in a very posh villa. It was called the Villa Le Balze program. Um, mm. And in Florence, <laughs> in Fiesole. So it's, it's very, it's definitely like infused with Georgetown yuppiness, but mm. you also can stay in a home with um, a family. So I chose to not stay in the villa, but to stay in a little rustic kind of like countryside stone home of this uh, nice old couple where the mom was, she was more like a grandmotherly figure. They were in there, I would say 60s. She oh. would make pasta. 
they had an old uh, German shepherd that would bark at everybody. And the dad, the grandpa, when he would come home and talk, if they were just having a normal conversation, he would slam the table as he made his points. And I was like, they're so emotional here. They're so emphatic. <laughs> he would be like, I really mean it today. And I was like, oh, okay. He's not even... His family yells, but they're not yelling about anything mean. They're just, you know, emphatic. Yeah. So I thought that was charming. And um, they they were they were like, they treated me like I was a, a tenant. They were like, uh, your showers are too long and you cannot hang wet towels on their chairs. And I was like, fair enough. You know, it wasn't family. But <laughs> I learned how to respect their rules. And, um, and it was a really nice experience. Now, what I had experienced in France, you know, a few years prior when I was a junior in high school mm -hmm. was also to stay in someone's home. But this home, I was 17 and they had like a 16-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. And the kids were um, adopted from Brazil. So they were dark-skinned and the parents were white. But for me, you know, I was raised by a white mom. I have a black father and um, my sister looked, they were all like my complexion. So we looked like siblings and we felt like mm -hmm. siblings. And that was a really nice experience to, even on that subconscious level to just, you know, come to a home, come home to a home where kids look like me. Right. And, um, and the parents were, you know, yelling about the racist politicians the way my white mother did at home in Indiana. So oh. I was like, this is good. <laughs> These are cool people. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so that was, and I was, again, I was young, so I was a student and I was just, I was only eating what was given to me. I was only going where I was allowed to go. So I wasn't free on my own. Whereas in college mm -hmm. I had, I had to find an apartment um, when I studied abroad in France and I had to, um, you know, make my way to school and back home and ride the public transportation and buy it myself. You know, there was all these more grown up elements I had to it when I studied in college. Mm -hmm. And I have yet to experience life as a tourist as an adult where I'm not on anybody's schedule. So I'd like to get back over there and just live life as a person, you know, get mugged. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> you know, talk to the police. <laughs> <laughs> live the way normal people live. Oh, um, so, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see if I ever get back there and do it or if it's only in a professional setting. But even now, if I go professionally, I would be staying in a hotel. I wouldn't be staying at somebody's house in some countryside, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that's interesting. You went from, you, there was like this progression from when you first went in high school to France and you mm -hmm. were kind of like part of the family. And then mm -hmm. when you studied in Italy, you said you felt like a, a tenant. And then um, when you went to France again, um, you know, that was more of like you having to be more independent and um, right. having to find an apartment and all that stuff. So that's Right. There really was no program where, I mean, all, the program was just academic. It wasn't like housing. They were like, you find your own housing. And um, I don't know why that was. Why was that? Because, yeah, it was so different from the other one was so niche mm -hmm. and cozy. And it was like your... It's kind of like a camp retreat, essentially, you know, the way you would sign up now, like, I'm going on a meditation retreat, and I'm going to be staying here, my meals are provided. But the France one was very much like bootstrap. It was like, okay, go find some place to live that's affordable, and make sure you get to your classes on time, and then come back with good grades, and we'll see you. It's like, I could have just disappeared there forever. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd have no way of keeping tabs on me. There were no grownups to check in with. Yeah, sounds like there's a lot less support there, which I'm also curious about. But um, yeah, I don't know. I guess 
Yeah, that is kind of weird. You could have disappeared. <laughs> I could have Brian. disappeared. Now it did get it did get a little dicey. I mean, like we're not you're not prompting me with a specific question, but I definitely could launch into some tales where, yeah, I think that when you're sending a young person abroad, you have to have accountability, and you should have like older grownups that know the area that are that they're reporting to pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. But what I remember with regard to. France. First of all, I the a person that I dated or like had a crush on when I was in high school studying abroad, I ended up rekindling a relationship with. And he was starting on his own uh, as a young adult too. So we mm. were like roommates. We shared that apartment and we were dating. So that made the whole thing so much more like a movie to me. It was like, I'm getting groceries for my boyfriend and I'm cooking, you know, on my own. I'm making dinner. I'm planning things out. You know, I'm, I'm a grown up now. I felt very independent. And um, and I also was minding my studies. And he was jo- interviewing for jobs. And then when he landed a job, he was going out and working every day. So it felt like we were living a regular life in, as, in Paris as much as you could. We were mm-hmm. on the outskirts of Paris, though. So it was a little dicey. But that prepped me for a life in Brooklyn. So it's pretty much the oh, same goodness. neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> where I live now looks a lot like where I studied in France. Um, and so... I had a professor who I, I took, um, you could pick classes where you wanted to at, at the French university. So I picked the Sorbonne. I, one class I took at Sorbonne was like a sociology course. Hmm. And that was divided by two teachers, just so I could say I've taken, I've seen the campus, I've been in the rooms, I've studied from their teachers, you know, because I'm not British and going to Oxford University or whatever. But it's like, hmm. if you have the chance to like pop into one of the most prestigious schools, you should do it. And it's, you know, I didn't have all of my curriculum there. I had to pick from other schools too. But um, it was really cool to get to experience that. But one of the classes, the class I took there had two different professors teaching each week. Um, they alternated weeks. Mm-hmm. And one of them showed me special attention, unwanted attention, or oh, he was no. like, stay after class, let's chat a little bit. And he always wanted to speak to me in English. And I, you know, was like, fine. You know, I really loved only speaking French. That was the other thing was when I was a junior in high school and studying abroad for the first time, the one rule as you stayed there for a few weeks was you cannot speak English. They didn't really hold you to it, but I tried really hard not to. Now that I was studying college, I could toggle from English to French and it wasn't like this, you know, requirement, but I enjoyed, you know, my fluency. So I was Mm -hmm. speaking French. So anyway, he'd be like, all right, it's English time. Let's go. Let's speak English together. And I was like, sure. What's up? And he would be like, you know, we could continue this conversation over a glass of wine sometime. And oh. I was like, yes, but I'm busy. I have to go home and make dinner. You know, I have a, I have a life now. I'm a grown up. Mm-hmm. And he was like, fair enough. And he just kept asking. So f- and I told the guy I was dating, I was like, look, this guy keeps asking to meet with me. I can tell he just wants to flirt. It's really annoying. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you could just meet with him and see what's up and have your convo and get it out, out of his system. And I was like, yeah, I guess I could. So I met with this guy and he was like, <laughs> we met at a cafe that he picked and my boyfriend was nearby. He's like, you know, this is not the age of cell phones, but it was just kind <laughs> of like, I'll circle back in an hour. And, yeah. you know, that was my safety. And so uh, I was like, fine. And this, and the teacher was like, you know, my apartment's right down the block. And I'm like, that's nice. And he goes, you know, we could have a glass of wine at my apartment. And I was like, no, thank you. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, you're getting the creepy vibe, right? <laughs> and, uh, and finally, you know, I just told him point blank, I don't want to have any more of these meetings. I don't want to speak English after class. I just want to get my grades and do my work. 
So by the end, I never saw him again, except when he was teaching. I didn't stay after. I just left. But by the end of the course, the his partner had given me an A for my paper that I submitted. And this guy gave me an F. And I got contacted That's by so my... Petty. <laughs> I was like, isn't that interesting? Oh, so, my goodness. That's so so I got contacted by the university and they said, I'm sorry, but you can't get your certificate of completion unless you get, you know, a passable grade here. And I was like, and you know what? It's 2023 now. People would just immediately say, well, why didn't you tell them that he was being a creep and that all you did was rebuff his advances? And then, you know, they could talk to him. Mm. But I, it was like pre Me Too movement. It was totally in victim blaming age. And I was just thinking like, how did I mess this up? How did I earn an F? And I, you know, specifically remember I was, it was a challenging paper to write. Like I thought his, his topic was complex, but I thought I handled it and I I cited sources and Mm -hmm. he just had said, I I met with him, you know, and I didn't want to have to meet with him, but I met with him and I said, what's the deal with this F? And he said, well, you know, the sources you cited weren't the ones I mentioned in class and other people seem to be, you know, have no problem, but you had a problem with that. And I said, are you sure it didn't have to do with the fact that I didn't want to go to your apartment? Right. (laughs) And I'm laughing because I love how forthright I was with him. I just wish I had been forthright with the university and said, look, this guy's a creep. But instead, I was like, are you sure it wasn't that? And he said, oh, no, that's what are you talking about? You know, and of course, he rebuffed that, which made me feel silly for asking. And he's just like, it's simply a matter of your aptitude or, your, you know, your intelligence. Blah, blah, blah. You don't know the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And so I just thought it was total BS. But I was like, I need to be able to pass this grade. So can you please reevaluate it? And he goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. Mm. I'll give you a C so you can get your little grade. You know, it's clear he didn't think of it as he's just like, you're not really here at this university. You know, you're just some American who threw some money around and you get to like leave saying you came here. Mm. And I was like, but the other guy gave me an A. Are you sure I get a C? And he's like, a C. So uh, it, it screwed up my GPA and it, was, yeah. it made me mad and I didn't ever tell anybody, you know, that mattered. I just told the guy I was dating at the time. I told my boyfriend, I was like, look, yeah. ugh, he did this. And he's like, that's, that's so wrong. This guy's such a jerk, you know, shouldn't happen. But did he tell me to go to the school and tell them what happened? No. And so it was yeah. just like one of those things where you just kind of have to eat it. Yeah. And, and so that soured me a bit on academia in general of just like that was like not the only experience I had with a creepy professor but it it was Mm -hmm. abroad and I didn't feel like I had anyone have my back really so I just you know I took my C and I just grumbled about it well I'm I'm really sorry you had that experience and uh, as it it sounds like you know well as you you kind of alluded to it there was not really any point person for you to go to like someone who maybe whose job was just focused on students like being okay while they're <laughs> while they're abroad or whatever like yeah no I do remember to talk to yeah there was I don't think she was on site I do believe okay. I had someone to talk to about this because like someone notified me that like oh you got this weird grade what's going on there oh, and I was okay. like nothing <laughs> I'm doing wonderfully I don't know what the problem is mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I'm sure they had some kind of point person it just um you know, and it's been a very long time since I've been there. So I don't remember all of the details. Right. But I do remember feeling like this looks weird. Like, why did I even go to a cafe with him? That's going to seem suspicious. You know, if he says that I flirted with him, who's going to believe who? So yeah. it was just an uncomfortable scenario. I wish I just it's like, anytime this happens to me, I'm always like, I just wish that person made a different choice. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if they didn't do that first move, it wouldn't be such an uncomfortable counter move 
of having to stand up for yourself or rebuff somebody or fight for your life, whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, if they didn't do it, then it wouldn't even be an issue. Like the other French professor or the other, you know, teachers I studied from who all gave me good grades. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, And so just so I'm clear, when you were in Paris, were you, you were splitting your time through uh, across like multiple universities? Or was there like a home institution that you were at? That's a good question. I don't remember a home hub like there was in Italy, but I do remember, yes, they said pick your classes that have to do with completing your degree. And they gave you a syllabus or a list of um, possible universities and what those universities offered. And it was just a ton of words. I just remember this paperwork. You just kind of then you highlight it or you circle the one you want and then you plug it into the computer and you let them know so that they can enroll you. And then you show up and say, hi, I signed up for this class. Gotcha. And, and George was Georgetown handling the enrollment? Well, you can't. No, you had to contact. I believe I contacted the university directly. But yeah, Georgetown was in the loop. Like somehow oh, okay. they were gotcha. they were definitely they knew who the professors were that were on their roster that they could offer to our students. Like it's more like the university makes what courses they will available, knowing that they're going to take in a few Americans studying, you know. Gotcha. Um, but it wasn't language stuff. It was all like one. I remember was about city planning. And the woman had this <laughs> most soothing voice. It was like, if I could mimic her, it was like, if she spoke English, she'd be like, hello, everybody. And now we're going to learn about city planning. <laughs> and she had this, like this way that she would linger on words and it put me to sleep. Maybe it was because I had the class in the afternoon, but I was like, very, very tired when I attended her course. So it was between, you know, that paper that I got the C on and her course, which I, you know, maybe I got an A, maybe I got a B, but I was just like really worried that I wouldn't understand what was happening. And, and I, I don't know. You never have these dreams where you're back at a job and you're like, or you're back in school and you have to take a test. Mm -hmm. It's very much like that. I have a recurring dream and I felt like that in the moment. I was just like, do I understand enough of what's going on here to get this grade? (laughs) <laughs> but apparently, yeah, I did. Yeah. By the end of it, I got through it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, and what, what was the like the time like duration compared to like when you were in high school? Like when you studied in Italy and France, was it considerably longer than when you had studied abroad in high school? Yes, they were semesters, so it was about three months each. Okay, yeah. gotcha. My junior year, I was there fall through winter in Italy, and then spring summer in. Or spring until the end of school year in France. Gotcha. And you had been here before, so you weren't like a complete newbie when it comes to just like being in that part of the world. Um, well, the but- part that was familiar were like the airports. But when I studied abroad, I was in like, you know, I was in saint So it was like Brittany. It was in uh, oh, right. the Northwest. It was like... There was a little bit more of a country twang to the way people spoke. Uh, a lot of people were farmers. I mean, it's still a very thriving city, but it was, um, it just felt more small town. And Paris was hustle and bustle, tons of tourists, way huge. I remember rollerblading through the city once. And um, because the uh, subway was always on strike, there were always these grèves, <laughs> these like strikes um, <laughs> happening. So you had to make your way to, the city from, I was on the outskirts, I forget which arrondissement, but it was like one of the neighborhoods on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. And I had to, you know, go like 45 minutes in on bike or walking or rollerblades. And so just rollerblading through the city past these like really old statues was was just a cooler experience. But I would liken it to 
living, growing up in Indianapolis versus growing, living in New York now. So it was kind of the difference between those two. The size mm-hmm. was different. The people were different. Gotcha. The culture was different. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was neat. It was neat to experience. And then Italy and Florence, it was like old world, you know, it was just, you walked everywhere. Well, you could take a bus, but it was tiny. And you've got like centuries old churches with paintings by artists you've heard of your whole life. It's, it's just amazing. And I just wanted to mention, I, for people who aren't familiar, when you were saying how you lived on the outskirts of Paris and it was kind of dicey or whatever, mm-hmm. that's because everything that, like you said, the hustle and bustle, kind of everything that matters happens in the city mm-hmm. and people who can afford to live in the city live in the city, whereas everyone else kind of lives on the outskirts, the, the banlieue, like they, right. that's where like the hood, so there's like, we have this concept of inner city and then and suburb here, whereas in Paris, at least, it's the opposite. So that's kind of why. That is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I It's also similar to Manhattan where it's like if you're wealthy, you live in Manhattan proper and you can face Central Park. But if you, yeah. you know, are of modest means, you live further and further away from, from that area. Right. And then safety is relative. It's like, just don't go out at night. Don't walk alone. Don't swing your purse around in the air. But I never felt unsafe when I was over there. It just was less attractive. Like the buildings are made in the 80s or something, you know, like, and the signs are all faded. It's just that kind of thing where Mm -hmm. you look around and you say, okay, this neighborhood is not as treasured as the ones that are getting all the government's money. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. So it's not a knock on the people or people who choose to live there. In fact, I was able to stay there because I, um, th- there was like a friend of a friend who had her apartment there and she was living in Canada at the time. So she was like, yeah, you can sublet from me. And I was mm. like, thank you. I was really thankful. It was, it was a great apartment. It was just a fourth floor walk up with the mm. world's tiniest bathroom I've ever seen in my life. Like if you, it was smaller than a closet. So if you could do half of a closet and there's a toilet and then behind the toilet is a shower. So you have to, walk behind you have to step on top of the toilet seat to get into the shower oh, if you can picture that <laughs> <laughs> i wish i took a picture of it i would just make that the picture i submit for this podcast <laughs> but i don't think i have any like record of that shower existing i just remember thinking this is the tiniest thing i've ever seen in my life yeah and i think you might have said this already when you were in italy that program was that all language related like was that the purpose of uh, no, that was still to complete a degree in foreign service. So you had okay. the requirement for Italy, I believe, uh, was you have to take a government class, a an art history class, a language class, and something about maybe econ. Yeah, it's an economics course. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was there's there are specific requirements for getting that degree, and you kind of have to show that you know a region. You have to select a region. So you could pick Africa, you could pick, you know, Asia, but I was picking Europe. And then within Europe, you pick your countries that you're going to study. Gotcha. So you the foreign service, your foreign service degree um, influenced what you chose to study in Italy and France, respectively. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Going abroad, did you have any, um, even though it wasn't your first time, did you have any, like, apprehension about being abroad, like... Not that I remember. No, not that I recall. Because I, yeah, even when I was going abroad at 16, I know it was like my mom and friends and family were much more concerned than I was. I just thought it was going to be cool. Mm. I really didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't try to picture it ahead of time. But I was, I don't know. I was much braver when I was younger. And now I'm just like, (laughs) I barely want to travel anymore. I'm like, uh, flight costs and (laughs) 
such a headache. You know, I'm always worried. And like you heard me like in the opening, I was talking about logistics of like even working abroad. It's all, it's like stress and planning. But as a kid, most of that was figured out for me. So I was like, yeah, I'll go. Yeah. The world was your oyster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, Sorry. I was just thinking about the whole thing with your professor um, in France because it just... I know it it might seem mild to people who haven't experienced it, but it was so awful. It was truly awful. And it was such a dilemma. I was like, why does this have to be part of my experience? Because I didn't know what to do. I'm I'm still I'm still thinking about it. Honestly, it's almost like I I don't know if it's a one to one comparison, but it just it doesn't seem like like sexual harassment or sexual assault is taken any more seriously there than here. It might even Mm. be taken less seriously. So it's like at the time, I would say less seriously right. for sure. Because I remember when we were in Italy, they had us in the villa. So even though I wasn't staying in the villa, like sleeping there, we would still meet there for meals and and for like um, all hands meetings. So they had a police officer, a local police officer, come and teach us about safety. And that was the whole point. It was like this is about safety, everybody. And he said. On the number seven bus, don't leave your wallet in your back pocket because there are pickpockets and they come to, you know, they they look for you all the time. So this is your warning now. Don't come to us saying my wallet's been stolen because we already warned you. Don't keep your wallet in your back pocket Mm. and keep your eye out for the pickpockets. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then they were like, also, another reason you can't come to us. If someone's pinched you on the butt or whistled at you or said, you know, mamma mia and talked about how good looking you are. That's a compliment. Take it as a compliment. And I remember being so upset. (laughs) I was looking around like, are you guys hearing this? (laughs) But he was a guest in our place, so we didn't challenge him. But we were just like, okay, thanks. for What can we come to you for, by the way? And he never (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was just don't bug us. Um, So, yes. So he was just like, it's different here in Italy. That's a compliment over here. And I'm like, it's not a compliment. Uh, yeah, dang, that's, that's, I'm not surprised to hear that, but it's just, it's just disappointing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when parents say I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Mm-hmm, exactly. I think, I'm, I think I'm both mad and disappointed. Right. <laughs> but greatly right. disappointed. I'm overall. sure my arms were folded during that whole meeting. <laughs> so, you know, obviously with any experience, there were like ups and, and downs. <laughs> When yeah, you were abroad. More, more ups than downs for sure. Like I, I think of it very fondly that whole time. And right. I like looking through my old pictures about it. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I was going to ask like what – do you have any like favorite memories of – studying abroad in either France or Italy? So many, so many. One thing that stood out when we were talking was um, when I was in Florence, um, up on the hill, if you walked upward from wherever we were studying, there was a little um, a barbershop, or not a barbershop, a salon. And this guy always recruited um, some of the Americans, but just young people in the area. There aren't that many young people, that's the funny part, to model for his hair show. So, he would put on a little hair show right around the time that we were studying there. And I got to be in that. So maybe if <laughs> pictures today aren't as, you know, pictures then aren't as cute as they are today. Cause you know, we don't, we didn't have digital stuff back then, but, um, but if the picture is good, I will, I will include that. Um, just so you can see, cause that was me being a model, um, for this guy's hair show, which felt very cool. You know, people were clapping. We were all wearing black. It felt very important. Oh, that sounds so fun. Um, <laughs> And then uh, I remember once I was I was I had missed the bus and a woman who was one of the program directors whose husband she like lives partly in the U.S. partly in Italy mm-hmm. or she lives all the time in Italy but she's an American either way 
he was riding around on his Vespa and we had met him and seen him, you know, for lunch and stuff uh, the, the students had. So he was like, Abby, meet me. And he's like, do you need a ride? And I was like, yeah, I do. So he just gave me a little ride into town. It was like a little 10 minute Vespa scooter ride, but it felt very, you know, like you'd see in a movie. Of yeah. Like, I don't have to take the bus. I take a Vespa scooter <laughs> with a local. Um, so he was very kind to do that. And shopping in the grocery store was always a cool thing for me. Like doing anything that a local would have to do, mm-hmm. as mundane as it is now to do that in Brooklyn. But, you know, as somebody who wasn't from there, seeing how they labeled things or what the music was that was playing, you know, like their little ads that they would play. That was always cool to me, both in Italy and in mm-hmm. France. Gotcha. Um, and in Italy, we got to take a little side trip. We got to do a lot of side trips. I think weekends were free for side trips. So you could go to Pisa. You could go to Cinque Terre, which I didn't go to. Um, but I went to Orvieto and I met another family. And fast forward today, the daughter from that family who was younger than me at the time now has had her first kid. So we can be in touch that way. So that's really nice. The <laughs> lifelong relationships is always a good thing. Yeah. If you can forge some. Yeah. Sure. I couldn't with a lady whose shower I took too long at, but uh, everybody else. <laughs> she was like, don't call me. Oh, man. That's no, she funny. didn't say that. But I'm just thinking about like, you know, how rude I must have seemed. Like like this American that wanted to like take long, hot showers in her house. Yeah. And I was like, well, how long are they supposed to be? I don't know how long I was taking, but I said, how long are they supposed to be? And she goes, 10 minutes max. And I was like, 10 minutes? My hair is not even wet by 10 minutes. <laughs> Like, you funny. see all this hair so anyway yeah well, no i definitely hear you on the on the like doing things locals would do and finding finding enjoyment in that because one of my friends she told me that one of her favorite things to do when she goes like visits like a new country or like a new city is just to go to the grocery store and see how they have things laid out exactly and, you know see if she can if it's in a diff- another language if she can figure out what the items are and things like that right or asking about <laughs> something like pestering a store clerk just yeah. so you can practice your language skills. right <laughs> right i sure. love that that was that was part of the fun for me and and just making the acquaintance of people and chatting them up i mean i'm from indiana and we do that a lot we're very talky like if you're in line at a grocery store you start commenting on what the other person in front of you bought and that's mm-hmm. considered polite you know like oh you have a cat at home yeah i do and i was like yeah <laughs> So I would do that wherever I went. And maybe, uh, I don't know, I would advise my daughter to not be so friendly to strangers. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, it was fun. And do you have any, like, favorite memories of your time in Paris? Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but the rollerblading through the city was fun to me. I guess because I only did it once. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other Paris memories? Gosh, there was, I should have, I should have prepared some cool stories there was a guy that was a hundred that was part of a bookstore and my mom's friend sent me a postcard that was like please see if you can see this guy from a bookstore i just saw a special on him on cbs sunday morning and so i went and met (laughs) with him and talked with him and took a picture with him and sent it back to her she thought that was so great you know walking along the, the river seine but also being in love was super sweet, you know, at the time. I was just right. like yeah. sharing that time with someone else and figuring out adulthood, you know. And it was very, that part was cool mm-hmm. just to get to like, I think his sister had a baby at the time. So we visited the baby and in a hospital. And it's like, when, when do you get to do this? You don't get to do this. Yeah. So, um, so a lot yeah. of singular experiences of feeling like I was actually living there, which seemed so different from how I grew up 
it felt very special. And then I brought it back to the United States and I would do this annoying thing where I couldn't think of the English word, so I would use the French word. Oh. <laughs> and I would have these long distance phone calls with this guy and my mom would be like, ugh, get off the phone. <laughs> she billed me for those calls and I paid for it with my babysitting money. I was like, fine, here you go. Oh. But it was just, she, she was like, she loved that I studied abroad, but I was very obnoxious when I came home. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens. I'm sure I was <laughs> like that at some times too, although I, I tried not to be. Uh, I can't remember for certain, but I'm sure I, I was that Were you way. mostly in France or did you study other places? I was in France and then, uh, well, it was the opposite. I went to Japan first and then oh, I, I wow. was in France. Yeah. So did you come back making sushi for everybody? No, sushi is actually not my favorite. Okay. (laughs) That's a shame. (laughs) Um, I remember when I came back from Japan, I was, I would like uh, unintentionally bow a lot. It took a while for. (laughs) Exactly. In Japan, like you bow, it's not like a full on bow all the time, but you're like, you bow and you nod. It's just a common courtesy. Right. And so that took a while to go away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People used to always like joke that Madonna had a fake English accent when she lived over there. But it's like, that just happens. You start to like want to blend in. So you do whatever they do. Sometimes people pick it up. And I remember when you um, were saying like, you know, how much you enjoyed speaking only French when you were in Paris. Like, Mm -hmm. I really also was very um, determined about only speaking French. And so when I visited my friend in, in London for a weekend and I went and everything was in English and I can suddenly understand everything perfectly. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, oh, wait, wait, give me a second. Like, <laughs> I have to wow. readjust. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to do math now. Mental. Right. Exactly. <laughs> translation. It's like a so, calculation. Oh, yeah. wow. That's neat. So you got to do Japan and France. I want to get to Japan someday. It's just that long flight. I really, I want to only go first class. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. Nice. I don't know. It's going to, I don't know that it's in the cards that I'm, I might just have to go coach, but I want to be able to lay down when it's been over 10 hours and have a nice little nap. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That'd be really nice. That's the thing class. I don't miss about traveling. Cause you know, I was in that relationship and it lasted a few more years. So I would go back and forth mm-hmm. uh, to France and just like, I don't know, sitting in a coach seat like a curled up shrimp and getting a neck cramp and or missing your flight and having to spend the night in an airport. Oh, gosh, I just don't miss those days. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. moments, I should say. <laughs> well, Stress of travel. As, as you've as you've uh, just said, maybe the alert of travel or I guess just like the physical act of having to travel from place to place isn't um, as alluring as it uh, maybe used to be. But is there anywhere else that you would like to go visit one day besides Japan? Like, Well, I mean, everywhere else. I, yeah. would, I would see a lot of... I mean, now, here's the thing. Now that I'm an adult, I'm aware of, you know, people's impression of the U.S. Mm-hmm. and how we have meddled, the impact of colonialism everywhere. Right. And um, even, like, going to Hawaii used to seem like a fun vacation. But now you've got people who are native there saying, you know, don't come. You're just going to feed this tourism. If you do come, come this yeah. way and be respectful of this or that. Right. And and it's I would much rather adhere to that. And I have a friend who has worked for the State Department and the Department of Justice. And so she she travels the world. And she does it as, you know, a businesswoman. So she's kind of like all up on the culture and what the things are to see. And she's just got, she's like my sliding doors. Do you know that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow? 
I haven't seen that one. No, okay. I'm sorry. This is a movie. It's okay. <laughs> this is a movie that imagines two different scenarios. One uh, in which she catches a train and makes it home and she sees that her husband's cheating on her. And one where she misses the train and she doesn't make it home and she kind of lives life as, you know, as this naive person. So you kind mm-hmm. of see, you get to see Gwyneth Paltrow live two different lives. So gotcha. my friend who, who has worked for the government um, most of her adult life and has traveled the world is kind of like I live vicariously through her. So I kind of see like what it, mm-hmm. lo- what life is like. Because I don't want to travel as a tourist like in the vacation resort. I don't like cruises for fun. I don't like resorts for fun. They're very sanitized and mm-hmm. and dull to me. And then you just have to watch people who who are from there wait on you. And it's just like, ugh, that just doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't know if there's a different version of, of, of vacationing that you can experience, but that does not excite me at all but getting to know people how they live and what they grew up on their favorite foods their favorite places to eat that's much more interesting to me right for sure and and you mentioned um wanting to do comedy abroad one day are there certain cities that i mean you mentioned um edinburgh but um are there other places that you envision yourself doing comedy (sighs) probably ones i haven't even heard of but you know it'd be nice just in general to finish out seeing like i've been to the uk but i haven't been to germany um it just honestly anywhere. I don't. I don't mean anywhere <laughs> like any tiny country that doesn't want Americans. I don't mean that. But at least with comedy, you're providing a service, and if there's a lot of expats in different parts of the world, so you're guaranteed to have an audience that kind of understands you. But then there's also a lot of countries that, you know, some of the kids grew up learning English anyway, so they have a gist. Like there are a lot of tourists that come over here mm-hmm. when I perform. Um, and they're from different countries and they get what's happening in the comedy show. So it's just, uh, at least when I started comedy over 15 years ago, it was uh, America had cornered the market on it. And it was a unique art form that had been started in this country and then was slowly getting popularity overseas. Um, mm-hmm. Even when I studied abroad, uh, you know, in college, I went to a live show, this Belgian performer, Franck Dubosc, uh, I had concert tickets to see him do stand up. So he was great. And he did it in French. But um, but it was, uh, it's, it's more performative and theatery. Now I think for Netflix, like standup is everywhere in any country. And I've even seen like, gosh, what was he? Was he Thai? There was this comic that was really big and viral, hmm. I think in Thailand who came here. And when I, you know, I met him in a comedy club in New York and we exchanged Instagrams. And when I saw him, I'm like, oh, you're big. Where are you from? And he's like, yeah, I barely <laughs> have a handle on this language here. But like where I'm from, I'm kind of huge. And I was like, oh, you're going to go far. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to see stand up all over. So I would do stand up anywhere that it was appreciated. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like that would be amazing to do something you love and something that is like your craft in another country and have it be appreciated in that way. Um, yeah, or learn or learn how to make it appreciated, honestly, because yeah. there's like that culture, you know, back to the shower again, there's just things <laughs> that you think you take for granted right. in your own lifestyle that people don't do and people might find rude. So kind of learning the ins and outs of that or, or if you learn about kissing on the cheek, you have to learn when you're supposed to kiss on the cheek, <laughs> you know, right. just accost a person trying to play pool. <laughs> Uh, you know, so I like I like learning about cultural differences in that way. I don't want to offend, but right, of course. they do make for funny stories. Yeah. Um, I was curious, um, you said, you know, you you already had like an interest in entertainment. So like, once you realized that you weren't interested in pursuing a career in like diplo- diplomacy or foreign service, mm-hmm. you decided to pursue 
comedy. But I'm I'm wondering, was that a difficult decision to make? Like after ha- having spent so many years and so much effort, um, and even going, you know, spending time in other countries to prepare for this one field, uh, the or this, you know, this career that you thought you were going to pursue, was it difficult to kind of to to do something else to switch gears? Yeah. Well. I think that, no, it wasn't difficult. I think um, hitting the walls was difficult and being told, no, you can't do it the way you want to do it. It was hard. When I when I was finishing out studying in France and I and I was still dating that guy, I wanted to figure out a way to, to like live there after school, you mm-hmm. know, and pursue work there. So I was interviewing, like I said, for like, who knows, probably administrative jobs. But I also went to their local our theater school. And I thought maybe I could get a graduate studies in, in theater here. Mm. Um, and gosh, I just, I have this memory. It's, it's very, very foggy, but like I went there to kind of see what the entry point would be. Like, I didn't even know who to talk to. So I just remember going to a building, couldn't tell you the name and people my age were coming in and out, but I couldn't get anyone's attention. And I went to like a window and I said, hi, if I wanted to, enroll here what would I need to do and Mm. they gave me some papers to look through but I just left feeling kind of like this is I don't even know that this is the place you want to enroll or how do you get an audition how do you get on tv in this country like Mm. I was just so clueless about it and I just thought like I think I have to regroup and go back home and save up more money so that I could survive here longer to figure out the time it takes to figure out how to climb this ladder. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, back in America, I went to the public library. I got all the books on acting and stand up you could. Mm-hmm. Um, every biography by a stand up comedian. And I was in the local comedy clubs, like picking the brains of people that rolled through. So I'm sure I could have done the same thing in France. But at the time, I was just like, it felt like a big locked door. Mm-hmm. Whereas in United States, breaking into the entertainment industry was just a matter of if there's a will, there's a way. So, so I probably would have wanted to do entertainment too. I remember, I remember at the time Monica Bellucci had just made Milena, or it was, I, I was able to see it. Maybe she didn't just make it, but it was a popular movie at the time. Mm-hmm. And she was acting in French and Italian and English. And um, I think she did Under Suspicion, which is uh, an American movie. So I was like, this woman's doing what I want. Like mm-hmm. I want to be in film, but yeah. in different languages. And these three specific languages. <laughs> And, you know, maybe by being 21, I was just like aged out already. Who knows? I really don't know how entertainment works. And (laughs) (laughs) but I felt like if I had to start here at this at this school, wherever I was getting the flyers and getting the paperwork and stuff, I was like, I am going to be kicking poop for a long time, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So that's the other thing. Young people are very impatient and they want to be successful immediately. Right. So if you tell them, well, it's going to take you four to eight years, uh, I was like, no, mm. I'm not doing Peace Corps. It's an extra two years. I'm not doing Teach for America. <laughs> like all these things that would take years at a time was just like, oh, I got life to live, man. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So I was not mature enough to figure it out there. And then the relationship just didn't work out. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. So... Um, or to my dismay, I should say, because at the time I was like, long distance can work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had high hopes. Oh, um, so but <laughs> yeah, I know. But everybody was like, oh, it'll be okay. It'll just be a memory. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, I was on a different track once I decided to pursue entertainment and knew I didn't want to get any more education 
gotcha. in any field. Yeah. I was yeah. just like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a lawyer. I don't want to be in school anymore. I see. Yeah. So I, I guess it wasn't really that hard of a choice to make when, like, like you said, it was kind of like the, that door was closed anyway to what you thought, or it would take too much time to, I guess, kind of catch up to be able to do what you had envisioned doing, being an international Star by by coastal by continental. I don't know what the word is. I'm looking for, but yeah, I think like, international is the word. Time. I think yeah, international <laughs> is the word. Um, yeah, just any route that I thought. You know, that's this kind of my attitude at the time was, what do I want to do? Okay, yeah. how do I pursue that? Okay, and that door is closed. What else can I do? Yeah. Um. So yeah. So stand up. You know, the doors kept opening. Now, honestly, if I could go back to myself in time and tell myself how long it would take to get a stand-up career off the ground or to get, you know, get momentum in entertainment, I would have been discouraged then too. So it's a good thing I didn't know. I was very naive going right. into it. <laughs> I stuck with it and, you know, I'm still with it, but you you meet some goals, you don't meet others, you, you know, stay the course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that um, you have been able to stay the course. And I mean, that's amazing. You said 15 years it's been or I think 18, 18. I mean it was to the uh, it's almost been 20 okay now okay. we're in the 19th year I'm in my <laughs> 19th year well since I first tried stand-up since yeah. I went full-time it's been about 15. Wow I just I just think that's amazing to stick with anything that long the fact that you have been able to do that and are still doing it I think is really commendable Thank um, you. Well, the journey's been fun. I think if you're if you're doing what you love, it's okay to keep at it. Like right, it, exactly. It makes it worth it. <laughs> well, thinking about your your times studying abroad, do you have any advice for anyone who would like to study study in Italy or France like you did? Um, advice. Yeah. Keep a journal. I actually was really pleased or pleasantly surprised when I found a journal that I kept there because I kept it in both of the languages and it was, I was, it was fluent and I was like, oh, this is great. It was good to return to because I have lost um, a lot of my proficiency through the years by not regularly using it. And that's, mm. so I would say once you leave, keep reading and definitely be in touch with people who live there. Mm. And even if it's a bit of a grind to have to like, you know, do the mental work of translating for yourself, I'd say keep with it because it's a muscle that you have to keep working. And while you're there, yeah, savor every moment. Take a lot of pictures. I'm sure you'll do that naturally. That's what we always do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the thing. People are online now. They're making TikToks. They'll have like <laughs> the memories will never leave them because right. they'll just be, you know, in the archives. And... um I think if I could give myself advice, it would be, I wouldn't have taken it anyway, but it would be to <laughs> do some homework ahead of time, like learn as much as you can. I don't know, watch a movie, uh, you know, watch Rick Steves, one of his catalogs, because there's a lot of detail to know and including like the history of a culture, mm -hmm. because what I was subjected to was just like the locals, minimal understanding of race and culture and politics and it w it worked fine because I was just some rube from another country that didn't really know anything but mm. I think that you could be <laughs> you could be living with conspiracy theorists and not know it you know like mm. when you're just this naive person that's staying in a house so I would say like educate yourself on what the culture is up against and and who the marginalized people are you know that's just something I would do now yeah to sure. know what's up and not just be like I don't know, breaking bread with some weird bigot and like <laughs> agreeing with them on this, you know, yeah. for the sake of agreement. But I don't know. Maybe you don't need to know that. Maybe it's better. Probably ignorance was bliss for me because then I could just coast through as some American. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, like you said, how if you knew too much about how the comedy scene was going to be and how long things would take, you might not have pursued it. Maybe it's a similar thing where if you know too much going into a place, maybe that might deter you or color your experience in a negative way, maybe. Maybe, (laughs) but I mean, then you could have more interesting conversations, I think. That's true. I mean, I just... But maybe that's, you know, me, I'm, I'm a grown up talking. I'm not like some young college student talking. So maybe I'm just like that. You know, it would be fascinating if you educated yourself on the culture. And people would be like, okay, I just want to go to the discotheque. <laughs> Whatever. So I don't know. But I just think that there was more. To, I should have, I could have been, my eyes could have been open a little bit more about mm. what I was experiencing and what was going on around me. But instead I was just in my little bubble of like, how am I, you know, going to wow the locals today with what word I learned? You know, it was very much self-focused. And I think like get out there and get to know people and get to know the community that you're studying. And mm-hmm. that's what I would do. Yeah, definitely. And do you have any advice for, um, being able to afford uh, studying abroad. I don't know if you had any scholarships or any, um, or if you just have any advice on how to make the day-to-day work in terms of living expenses and whatnot. Well, well, I could tell you my mom raised us on her own and she always had a few jobs. So we were never upper class. We were, I would say, middle class or lower middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I didn't want for much, that's for sure. I just, I did get a scholarship to study at my private high school. And that program that I studied abroad at was, a, you know, it was grades based and aptitude based. So you do like, you know, try to get the best grades you can. But who isn't trying to do that in school? I think everybody's trying to do that whenever they're going to, if they're aspiring to study abroad, I'm sure, I'm sure that academics is on their radar. Mm-hmm. Um for money, I babysat a lot and saved up and I didn't spend much. So I don't know what kids' spending habits are like these days. But um, are you there? Did I lose yeah, you? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm okay, listening. sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I have run-on sentences. No, you're so, um, so yeah, try to, try to be thrifty in the months leading up to when you want to study abroad and just, you know, know that you'll probably... I mean, what are you going to spend money on, though? That's the thing. Like, I think when it comes to studying abroad programs, the food is planned out. Mm. But, but honestly, if you can't afford it yourself and you can't get a scholarship, you could crowdfund with family and friends and tell them how important it is for you and how much it'll mean to you. And then when you're over there, you send them a postcard. Mm. So I think people want to be a part of that, a good experience that a kid could have yeah. abroad. Like it's, you, it's like a lifelong memory. So, um, and you don't forget who helped you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, don't give up. If there's a will, there's a way. Get over there. Definitely. You know what? I'm going to go over there. <laughs> I'm going to perform comedy over there. Yeah, why not? It's going to be called the bus stop tour. Sure. And I'm just going to be doing stand up at, at bus stops for the for the at bus stops for the people in the city. <laughs> I mean, that might take off. People like uh, grassroots things like that. So I know. Then I'll sell it to TikTok and it'll be like a TikTok exclusive. <laughs> you know, YouTube is just airing the NFL now like it's its own channel. I just I don't understand what's happening with social media. <laughs> <laughs> most of the time I don't either to be honest um, oh actually I, I remembered I wanted to ask um, you know you said you have a, a daughter who's you know still pretty young right now mm-hmm. would you want her to 
study abroad if that were an opportunity that she came across? Absolutely. Yes. And I don't even know that I joined her over there. My mom and my sister joined me when I was studying abroad because she's adventurous and she's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I would probably even just let my kid just have her time out there on her own. Um, But the thing is, when she was born, I was speaking French and Italian to her and I got Mm -hmm. little books and even some Spanish, you know, like any language that I've picked up. Um, and I can speak like two words in many, many languages, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but just like, not really, I can't hold conversations. I could be like Jumbo in Swahili, mm-hmm. but, uh, <laughs> with her, I was doing all that so that she could be immersed in it. But then again, I'm only one person. She wasn't like at a daycare where they spoke it. So by age three, she was like, she could tell when I was using a language and when I wasn't mm-hmm. by three, she was using it back to me by four. She said, stop, I don't want to do that anymore. And by five now, like I'll insist on trying to speak it to her. And she's just like, I know what you're doing and I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll be like, tu t'adresse pas, pourquoi? You're not interested, why? And she goes, stop translating. <laughs> and I said, I'm translating so you know what I say in French. And she goes, I don't want to know what you're saying in French. Oh. So she's just like asserting her independence right now with it. And right. hopefully she'll get into it later. She'll see it as a cool thing like I did. But then again, I wasn't introduced till I was eight. So maybe I jumped the gun with her. Maybe, but um, it's good to know that you'll be supportive um, if she does come around and want to, you know, you know, study abroad or, you know, get out there in a similar way like you did. Um, yeah, it's I mean, just great when parents are supportive of that. Yes. And there's it's we're like a more globalized uh, technology now. So we can keep in touch a little bit better. You can use WhatsApp and in real time, I can know where she is or what she's got going on. Whereas back in my day, we had travelers checks. So you took your American currency and you, you know, traded it for these little papers that then would get traded back over when you're abroad and to make phone calls we had to use a calling card at a local payphone. Mm. so like we didn't have cell phones it was just like i went down the block and oh my gosh it felt like talking through a seashell it was so far away i'd be like mom oh <laughs> they made me eat shrimp with the head on it <laughs> <laughs> so you know Oh, it was is a different experience that she won't have to deal with. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, technology and communication is, is so different now. I have one last anecdote that you should edit in. Sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's helpful. You, go ahead. Because okay. this will fit it back into when you were saying, do you have any fond memories? Yes. Okay, yes. Go so ahead. in between studying in Italy and France, my mom and my sister um, wanted to study too. And my sister had studied abroad in Spain. So we were going to be spending Christmas with the span- this family in Spain mm-hmm. that uh, she knew. So I went to Spain earlier ahead of time because I, was, I wasn't going to come back to the States for that. So I went from Italy to Spain before I was going to finish over in France. They came over. So I was there a few days ahead of time and I didn't speak Spanish, but I spoke Italian to them directly and they responded to me in Spanish and we communicated just fine, which mm. I thought was really cool. Yeah. And then we spent uh, New Year's Eve after that Christmas there in, in, in Spain. We, um, we were in Catalan, which is like that little, I don't know, am I saying it right? It's a little tiny spot in the middle of Spain. Yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> okay. And we also saw Barcelona, but it's like, I think it's a little suburb outside of Barcelona, mm-hmm. if I'm saying that right. So anyway, we were we were in Italy for New Year's Eve as a family, like the family vacay. And we, my sister and I were in an internet cafe. That's what they had before you could like have the internet on your phone. You mm-hmm. had to go to an actual restaurant where it was just, you paid for use of a computer. And I was checking my emails and writing emails. And this internet cafe also had a Subway sandwich shop in it. 
And so the man, there was one man working there. It was midnight, and we heard the the fireworks going off. So we we figured, oh, it must be the countdown. It must be New Year's. And he's like, Happy New Year! And he came over and he brought us two plastic flutes of champagne mm. from Subway in an internet cafe. I don't oh. know. It was so cute. <laughs> it was just so like, oh, this is such a singular, weird New Year's Eve experience. But they sold champagne at Subway. I don't know. I think he just had it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even know where he got his flutes, except you know he must have just prepped the. Prep for the night, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we're like, oh. thanks. Happy New Year. But That's so fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a cute memory. Yeah, and I'm glad you got those experiences with your with your mom and your sister. I was going to ask um, if you were the odd person out in terms of wanting to, you know, see visit more of the world, but it sounds like you... Not you at all. Yeah. My, <laughs> yeah. They just had no... My mom and sister professionally don't have much of a reason to, but they certainly like to take awesome vacations. So yeah, yeah, they're inspirational when it comes to world travel. That's awesome. So your daughter has lots of people to look to if she does uh, decide she wants to do that as well. She has That's a lot right. of people to draw from. That's so cool. So uh, I only had one remaining question for you. Sure. Um, but before I ask that, was there anything about your um, experiences studying abroad that um, I didn't touch on that you might have wanted to share? Uh, no, I think I hit all the points. Like now, you know, at this stage in my life, I just wish I could get it back. That's why I want to get over there. Mm-hmm. I know it won't be the same. I can't be 18 again. I can't be 20 again. But I just, right. oh, it's just so more, it's so much more romantic in hindsight, you know, like going to Versailles and having lunch on the steps if you want to oh it's so cool yeah just love it yeah then people that live in paris are like no it's polluted and it's boring (laughs) (laughs) my daughter's born in new york city it's like the coolest city in the world and she's like this place stinks and i can't wait to get out of here oh my goodness (laughs) i was like well have fun in indiana then you bumpkin (laughs) she's just doing a reverse of my life oh that's funny um Mm -hmm. Has she been, has she been to Indiana? Yeah, she thinks oh, okay. it's great. Oh, well. She's like, there's trees here. It doesn't smell like pee pee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. like, you enjoy it then, right? Different strokes for different folks, maybe, or maybe well, she'll get older and she'll come to appreciate being from New York. I don't know. I um. think so. I definitely <laughs> think so. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I just miss it. That's all. That's yeah. all I want to say. No, I feel that. I definitely feel that way about my own experiences as well. Uh, one last thing. Oh, yeah, I, go ahead. The thing about going back now, I haven't, I've asked one friend, but I haven't really gotten conclusive evidence of if they have like vegan pizzerias or vegan cupcakeries because back then I didn't know I was lactose intolerant and I was uh, eating butter all the time and just yeah. like <laughs> farting up a storm. So if I go back this time, I'll have like the plant-based milks will be in the grocery store. I know that. And uh and I can bring my lactate, but I'm super excited to see if like, you know, how things have changed in 20 years. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's um, oh, there's a website someone told me about because I've had a couple of people on uh, a couple of guests who've told me like they're vegan. And so they have to look for alternatives when they travel. And I can't remember. Is it like Happy Cow or something? There's some site you can go or you can look like by country okay. or by city to see what vegan or vegetarian options they have. So maybe that. Sweet. Will yeah, I'll check it out. Up. Thank goodness for the internet. We yeah. barely had the internet when I was studying abroad. So this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, my, my last question for you is how can people uh, reach you or keep up with you online if you would like them to do so? Do it. Um, let's see. Well, social media, you can find me on Instagram at Curly Comedy. Um, <laughs> you can find me on X Twitter or Twitter X. 
Oh, it's always going to be Twitter to me. <laughs> I call it, yeah, I call it X Twitter, like EX hyphen Twitter, because it's like the old right. Twitter. Um, no, I'm on, I'm also on Blue Sky, but goodness, like the handles on that are so long. So Curly Comedy is how you can find me across most social media, including Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not an influencer there. Like I, on Twitter, I would make a ton of jokes. So if I am writing something, it'll be for comedy purposes. I used to get listed on a lot of websites. Like you see my little, my little funny words here and there, but, um, but I can connect with people and tell you about shows that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't have, let me think, I'm going to be at Room 52, it's a comedy club in New York on August 26th, but that's mm. up in the air right now. I believe that's a tentative date as they reschedule their comedians. So for now, I would just say, you know, look for me online. I think you can see old episodes of You Can Do Better on Hulu. Um, or just, you know, I don't know, Google me if you want to see me make you laugh. But if you want to talk in real time, let's join each other on social media for now. Gotcha. And that's Curly Comedy, right? That's right. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for again for making time to talk to me today. Thank was, you, Danielle. I love the trip down memory lane. Yes, it's my pleasure. Uh, I'm glad I was happy to learn about your um, your memories. I remember when I heard your interview on the Black Eye Who Tips, I was like, I really want to learn more about her and what she I don't even remember what so. I said on his podcast, but he has a great podcast. He's yes. fun. I'm glad you listened to him. Yes, yes. I, I love I love that show. So um yeah I said I think I said all I needed to say. So I will let you go for now. I hope you have a great afternoon and a great weekend and all that and um I hope you you take care and I hope your daughter enjoys camp. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Danielle you too. Have a all good right. one. Bye. Bye. All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Abby for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young, Gifted, and Abroad wherever podcasts are, and you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you leave ratings and reviews. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode, next month, um, I guess I'm still once again taking it week by week because I do not know who next month's guest will be yet. Um, but as always, I will try to make sure it's someone uh, interesting and thoughtful and someone who has stories about studying abroad and traveling more generally that they would like to share. <laughs> so you can look forward to finding out who the guest will be next month on September 19th. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.